All right, so we ready for a, a dose of wisdom this morning? Back in the book of Proverbs, last month, we were in Proverbs chapter 1, looked at verses 20 through 33, that section, and we saw that wisdom was calling out, and we saw this gracious and open invitation to everyone by wisdom. And we also saw her strong warning to those who continue to reject her and refuse that invitation. And in this warning was a frightening picture of irreversible consequences of rejecting wisdom. And these irreversible consequences suddenly will come upon people who continue to refuse that gracious invitation. And the purpose of this warning was to motivate us to instead avoid that end and to choose wisdom while we still have the opportunity before it's too late. And that way we can avoid the disastrous consequences that come from rejecting wisdom. And the big idea was this. Every time the Word of God is proclaimed to you, every time you're confronted with the Word of God, as you open it up and read it, you're being presented with wisdom's invitation. That was the big idea. And God is calling out to you every time you look at His Word, every time you hear His Word. He's calling out to you through His Word for you to trust in Him and embrace His wisdom. And so this morning... We're going to begin to look at chapter 2 in Proverbs. And really, the, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 22, all of it is one single unit. So if you're going to study it, you want to, you want to read the entire thing because it's one unit. And it's one of Solomon's lectures to his son. And it could technically be translated as one extremely long sentence. That's really what it is. It's one long sentence. It's kind of like, you know, in Romans, we're used to Paul. Sometimes he goes on and on, and, and, but in translations, they put some periods in there so we can consider each of the thoughts that he's communicating. But it really could be translated as one long sentence, and it begins with verses 1 through 4, a set of conditions. And these are followed by the results of those conditions in verses 5 through 22. If those conditions are met, what's going to result is verses 5 through 22. If you do this, verses 1 through 4, here's what will happen the rest of the chapter. However, in order to better understand and appreciate all that's in this chapter, we're going to split it up. And we're going to, we're going to cover the first half. We're going to cover verses 1 through 11 this morning. Next time, we're going to pick up in verses 12 through 22. So read along with me in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your hearts and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. 
And so that's our passage. And it's different from the previous one in this sense, that instead of showing us the consequences of passing up wisdom, it shows us the rewards of pursuing wisdom. The focus is on the rewards of the pursuit of wisdom. And these are two different teaching approaches in Proverbs, but both have the same goal in mind. It's going to warn of consequences of rejecting wisdom, but it's also going to tell you about all these rewards of embracing wisdom. But the same goal is in mind, and that's to motivate you to acquire and grow in wisdom. You see that? So remember, Solomon speaking to some picture of father telling his son, I want to warn you of the dangers of rejecting wisdom, God's wisdom for your life. But I also want to tell you the blessings of embracing it. And what's the goal? Because I want you to, mot- to motivate you to choose wisdom, that you would choose wisdom for your life. And in our passage this morning, here's our goal. We're going to look at the blessed outcome of obtaining and growing in wisdom so that we might be motivated to diligently apply ourselves in our personal pursuit of wisdom. And the outline looks like this. Like I said, and we have the pursuit, verses 1 through 4. Those are the conditions. They describe the pursuit of wisdom. And then in verses 5 through 11, the prize. So starting in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. The first four verses list these conditions that must be met in order to acquire and grow in wisdom. And in verse 1, what we see is that Solomon tells his son to receive his words and to treasure up his commandments. And in verse 2, he implies that through these come wisdom and understanding through his words, through his commandments. First of all, remember this. Where did Solomon's wisdom come from? Where did he get it? It's from God, right? God gave Solomon his wisdom. He's not saying, hear my two cents, what I think, just my own opinion. He's saying, hear my words, receive and treasure up my commandments with you, because what I'm telling you is what God's told me. The wisdom that he's given me, I'm trying to give to you. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. That's what scripture says. Wisdom and understanding. He was wiser than all men who ever lived, apart from Christ, who is perfect in wisdom. And so Solomon's communicating this to his son and to us as we approach the word right now this morning. And also, remember that Solomon, he already established at the beginning, chapter one, those first seven verses, we looked at the whole purpose of the book of Proverbs. And he concluded with the point that in order for us to know wisdom, we must begin with what? Do you remember what it is? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. We start with the fear of the Lord, we begin there, and we continue in it in order to acquire wisdom and grow in wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it's the beginning of wisdom. So Solomon's words, when he says, receive my words, treasure up my commandments, and for, you know, for his son and for us, these words are in keeping with God's wisdom according to God's truth and God's standard, and therefore they're given with authority. So we approach them with and recognize the authority that they have for our lives because it's coming directly from God. We know that this is the wisdom that God gave. And also remember that Scripture is what? It is God-breathed, right? So when we read the book of Proverbs, that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it isn't just the writing of a man saying, I want to share the wisdom I have with you, It's flawless, it's infallible, it's without error, it's perfect. 
wisdom for us because God superintended that process of writing it out. So he gave us his word. And verse 1 shows us that pursuing wisdom involves receiving and treasuring up God's words, God's commandments that are given through Solomon. Not only here in this passage, but in the entire book of Proverbs and not only in Solomon's writings, but in all of Scripture. Because all Scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for training us in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 is a wonderful verse to memorize. All Scripture, God-breathed, profitable. Remember that every passage you look at, it's profitable for you because it comes from God. And that includes training us in wisdom. That's the prophet. So, the condition is this. The first one is if you receive my words. He starts there. If you receive them. And to receive God's words, which communicate God's wisdom, it doesn't express a willingness to simply listen. Just a willingness to, okay, I'll give you my, my ear. I'll listen. It's not a willingness to just simply listen to his words and go no further. Rather, receiving his words, it expresses a desire to take possession of them. Take them and make them your own. And here's an illustration. This is a quote by one commentator I thought was helpful. We're not to receive God's wisdom like a radio, receive, or a radio receives radio waves and immediately loses them. Rather, the idea is that we receive them for keeps, like a digital voice recorder receives sounds and hangs on to them. You see that? Receive my words. Don't just listen, but take possession of them. Keep them. And this idea is further emphasized in the following phrase. And what does he say? And treasure up my commandments with you. And the verb that is translated treasure up, it basically means to keep or to store up. So sometimes when we think, oh, I treasure this, it means I value it in my mind or whatever. But he's not saying just, you know, he's not talking about your attitude towards it. He's talking about an action, and it's to keep them and to store them up, to treasure up his commandments like you would do with money. That's basically what he's saying. Now think about what you do with your money. You don't throw your money away, right? You don't just throw money away, do you? No, unless it's a penny, all right? Um, and you don't leave it lying around all over the place, do you? You just leave it lying around the house. Rather, you keep it in your bank account where it remains in your possession. And you have direct access to it as you need it, right? That's what you do with your money. You store it up. And likewise, God's commandment, his commandments are to be kept in our possession and stored up because they contain God's wisdom. And that's far more valuable than money, isn't it? But do you see it that way? Do we see it that way? Do you really see God's word and his wisdom as more valuable than money? Think about that. Another comment here. If we treated our money as indifferently as we deal with, the, with Bible doctrine, teaching, there's no question that every one of us would be penniless. Sometimes, you know, we're, we're quick to value material things in the world, but we forget how valuable the immaterial things, such as God's wisdom, is for our lives and how much more valuable it is than money. So, when he says store it up, where exactly do we do that? We don't, you know, okay, bank account for money. Where do we store up God's words so that remains with us? And the answer is in our hearts, in our minds. Psalm 119.11, a wonderful verse, reads this, I have stored up, same word, I have stored up your word, where? In my heart. 
that I might not sin against you. The pursuit of wisdom requires us to internalize God's wisdom and even memorize it. So when we meditate on the Word of God, uh, it's not just read it, think about it, and let it go. We're, we're trying to internalize it. We're trying to store it up so that it remains with us, so that we keep it. And this happens as we actively and persistently listen to it, read it, study it, meditate on it. Colossians 3.16, Paul wrote this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So we want wisdom, but we need the Word of God, God's wisdom, to dwell in us richly. Look at verse 2. Here's another condition that picks up off of those first two. Making your ear attentive to wisdom. And this further explains what we need to do in order to receive and store up God's Word. Too often we think of listening to instruction as a passive activity. Like right now, I'm just going to passively listen. I mean, you're doing all the talking, man. I mean, we're not having a conversation, right? I'm passively listening. It's a passive activity. And we we usually think of it as passive rather than an active one. But the statements in this verse make it really clear that, that we are to deliberately listen up and pay close attention to wisdom, that is to God's word, whether it's being communicated informally or formally in the home or in the church, and whether it's through a conversation you're having with someone or through a one-direction monologue, whether it's teaching or a sermon or anything like that, see, we're engaged, and it's an action. It's an active activity to pay attention. However, sometimes, don't we have difficulty paying attention? Isn't it hard? Do you find it hard to pay attention? Sometimes? A lot of times? Think about it. Consider Sunday mornings or your own personal time in the Word throughout the week, even every time you go to study the Word of God. The reasons vary as as to why we may have difficulty paying attention. It could be because we're tired, huh? Amen to that, right? That's usually the problem, big time. We're busy people, we're tired, but, I mean, various reasons why we're tired. Maybe you stayed up the, late the night before. Maybe your kids didn't sleep through the night, which means you didn't sleep through the night. Maybe you didn't have your coffee or whatever it is that helps you wake up in the morning. Or... Maybe we have a hard uh, time paying attention. Sometimes it's just due to laziness. We can be mentally lazy, mentally undisciplined. And we we don't feel like doing a lot of thinking. And we allow our thoughts to wander or we allow ourselves to be distracted by other things. I mean, there are distractions, right? But sometimes we we let those things pull our attention away from what's more important, what we really need to be focusing on. And so the reasons vary as to why we may have difficulty paying close attention attention but the solution's the same in this verse he says what he tells you us make your ear attentive to wisdom it's our responsibility it's not primarily the speaker's responsibility to engage us children it's not primarily your parents responsibility to make sure you're paying attention the only person who can really make yourself pay attention is you so it's on you it's our responsibility to engage ourselves. Do you think about that? I mean, I understand some people are not as engaging, we would say, of speakers or communicators, but what is this verse telling you to do? Engage yourself. Make your ear attentive. Don't let these little distractions pull your attention away. Work at it. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. If we're not willing to do this, then we're forfeiting the opportunity to acquire and grow in wisdom. So if we're not willing to work at it, we're not willing to engage ourselves and make our ear attentive, we're going to miss that opportunity because it starts there. 
And then, after this, inclining your heart to understanding. There's that phrase. And this takes the concept of attentiveness to a whole other level. Because it's more than just a matter of focusing our thinking. The heart refers to our inner self. It's our mind. It is our will, our reasoning, our intentions, our desires. So the pursuit of wisdom, if we're going to incline our heart, it requires discipline and devotion. Discipline to make our ear attentive, but to incline our heart, that's devotion. It's not just your mind, it's your will, it's your thoughts, it's your desires, your affections even. The verb incline in this context means to turn, turn your heart. And the phrase inclining your heart to understanding could be translated this way, causing your heart to turn to understanding or guiding your heart to understanding. You, guide your heart, cause your heart to turn to understanding. And an illustration of this, we could look at where this verb is also used in the Bible. Numbers chapter 22, verse 23, the second part of it. Balaam's donkey. Do you know the story of Balaam? Anybody familiar with that story? Well, it's not really important here because I just want to show the illustration of this, what his donkey did. By the way, this donkey had good reasons to turn aside. It says the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. See that word turned? That's our word, inclined. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. And that right there, to turn, is to cause her to turn. What did he do? He struck the donkey to cause her to turn. Now, I don't want to pick on the Balaam's donkey because Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn in his hand, was turning for a very good reason, was actually wiser than Balaam. But think of a stubborn donkey or a stubborn mule that is, and think of, that, think of your heart like that, one that is prone to turn aside, and what do you need to do? You need to incline her back to understanding. You, know, you need to strike that donkey, right? Incline her back. Move your heart to understanding. Cause your heart to turn to understanding. So, our heart's like a stubborn donkey that turns from the path of God's wisdom. And we need to discipline it in order to cause it to turn back on that path. You need to discipline your heart. Not just your mind, but your heart. <laughs> we need to cause our heart to turn to understanding so that we might, re- we might rightly see the ridiculousness of sin and folly and pursue wisdom instead. In order to do this, we need to acknowledge our complete dependence on God's grace and enablement, right? That's hard to do, to incline your heart. We need God's help. Look at Psalm 119 up on the screen, verse 36 and 37. Here's the prayer. We're told to incline our hearts in Proverbs, but here's the prayer of the psalmist. Incline my heart to your testimonies, God, and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So we must be prayerful in our pursuit of wisdom. This isn't about just uh, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and working hard and making it happen all on your own and say, look at me, right? It's acknowledging that I need God's help. And your prayer should be incline my heart while you are working at inclining your heart to understanding and this is affirmed, this, this prayerful pursuit, this dependence on God, it's affirmed in verse 3. He says this, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Do you see the desperation there? 
calling out, raising your voice? Would you cry out for something you didn't think you needed? Would you bother? Would you put yourself out there like that for something you thought you could do without? Would you? Would you really cry out for something that really is, in, is kind of worthless to you or is not important, you don't see a need for? And in the passage we looked at last time, remember that, that warning, that invitation of wisdom, that lengthy warning about re- refusing her, we saw that it was who that refused her. It was simple ones who became fools because they continued in rejecting wisdom. And it was the simple ones and the fools who were content as they were. Wisdom's calling out, but they were content, and they were going about their business. And it was wisdom who was doing the crying out to them and raising her voice to them. Simple ones and fools have wisdom crying out to them, but they're not crying out for wisdom. They love their ignorance. They're not interested in true understanding. However, here in this verse, we see that those who listen to wisdom and pursue her are the ones who do the crying out. You don't need to wait for wisdom to necessarily cry out for you and try to grab your attention. If you're pursuing it, you're the one who's crying out for wisdom, for God's wisdom. You would be the one who would raise your voice for understanding. And why would you do that? Because you know you need it. You know you need it, and you know that your life depends on it. If you truly see it that way, there will be that desperation and that crying out for wisdom. And so, what does this look like exactly? We say, okay, he says, cry out for wisdom. What does that really mean? Literally, like, wisdom, I need you. Like Sunday morning, just cry out for wisdom. Out loud, cry out for wisdom. Well, it's, it's more of an attitude, right? It's, for, once, uh, for one, praying for God's help. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be that if we're crying out? I mean, we're, look at the psalmist. He said, incline my heart. He's crying out for God to give him understanding, to incline his heart. Psalm 119.18 says this, Open the eyes of my heart that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. It's not saying, I'm going to be really smart and I'm going to figure everything out because I'm a smart guy. It's like, no, God, I need your help. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things. Also, it's requesting the help of others. Don't you need the help of others to understand the Word of God? You do, don't you? I mean, when you're a child, you, you are relying on your parents' instruction. And at the church, we are relying on one another. We are not only in the preaching of a sermon or in the teaching of Sunday school classes or in the study groups we have, um, but just in the counsel of one another, friends who uh, receive God's wisdom through his word, and they're sharing that with you. And so we, we do want it. We do want people to speak into our lives. That's crying out for wisdom. And basically it reflects a humble attitude of desiring and being determined to learn. And so when we study God's Word and when we listen to the teaching of God's Word in whatever way that's happening, we should be calling out for understanding. The pursuit of wisdom requires humility. It requires eagerness. Now look at verse 4. What does it say? If you seek it like, what? Silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. The image here is that of mining People will go to great lengths, won't they, to dig up the earth's treasures? They'll, they'll put forth a tremendous effort in order to acquire the precious metals and the precious stones, stones that are buried in the earth. They'll go to great lengths and put forth tremendous effort to get those. How much more should we do that to seek wisdom? Which is a far greater value and will benefit our lives far more than money. 
And sometimes think, people think, I mean, it's easy to think money will solve your problems. Is that true? No. I think we see it plain. I mean, read about the rich and famous. Peaceful, good lives they lead. No problems. That's all we need, right? Time and time again, it's clear as day, right? It is so obvious. Money ain't going to solve all your problems. And guess what? Remember what Jesus said? To not worry about what you lead, what you wear, these, these material needs. Yes, you have material needs. But guess what? God's going to provide for you. What do you say the priority is? What are you seeking? His kingdom, his righteousness. That's the priority because you know that your heavenly Father will provide for you. So, money doesn't solve our problems. We need to value wisdom more than we would value money, any, any treasure that the earth has in store for people. Proverbs chapter 3, the next chapter, in verses 13 and 14, it says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is similar to money, close to silver. No, what is it? Better. It's far better. It is better than gain from silver. And her profit, better than gold. So think about this. If you inherited a gold mine... Although the gold would have great value, it has great value. The value is already there. You wouldn't profit from it unless you did what? You worked. You got out there. You don't sit on your hands, right? You're going to profit if you go out and you start digging. So God's word is like that. It's a gold mine of wisdom. That's right here. Here it is. Are you going to start digging? You're not going to profit from God's wisdom unless you're willing to open this up and dig and work at understanding. You're going to search for it. You're going to seek it like more, actually more than you would for treasures. We have the guarantee, God's guarantee, that if we dig and keep digging into his word, we will continue to discover and unearth and store up the treasures of his perfect wisdom. And what's the result of this? Our lives will be enriched. We will be enriched by God's wisdom. That's the result. That's guaranteed, by the way. God promises that when we do that. This isn't merely passive reception of instruction, is it? When we read these verses, it's not passive. He's engaging, Solomon's engaging his son. He's engaging us through this word. And he's telling us that the pursuit of wisdom requires diligence and it requires determination. It's hard work that requires painstaking effort on our part, right? It is painful, isn't it? Isn't it painful to discipline your mind and to engage yourself fully? It's hard. It's hard work. But it's worth the effort. And we're only going to do this if we realize that wisdom is far more valuable and beneficial than material wealth. You see, it's a question of values. What do you value in life? What do you treasure? What do you cherish? If you really value God's wisdom, you will pursue it. It's going to be worth the effort to seek it, to grow in it. One commentator says this, using this imagery of, of material treasures and comparing that with the pursuit of wisdom, he says, neither silver or nor wisdom is got in a day or got without industry, work, efforts. But for the minor and student alike, the prize is worth the toil. But toil there is. 
And so an earnest desire to obtain wisdom must be uppermost. So here's the attitude we need to have if we want to make progress in our pursuit of wisdom. Psalm 119. Again, we're quoting a lot from Psalm 119, but it talks about the remarkable valuable value of God's Word. Verse 72 in Psalm 119, the law of your mouth, here's the attitude, the right attitude, if we're going to benefit from God's Word. The law of your mouth is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Very valuable. Far more than treasures. But guess what? We don't have to just blindly accept that. The Word of God says wisdom is valuable, so pursue it. There you go. End of story. We don't just have to blindly accept it. I mean, we take God's word, take God at his word, right? But he doesn't leave us without any further explanation. God says throughout Scripture that he, show, or actually he shows us what there is to gain from wisdom. And that's precisely what he's doing in the rest of this chapter. So throughout Scripture, you're going to see the blessings and rewards of pursuing the Lord and his wisdom. He tells you what's going to happen. He tells you what you'll benefit or what benefits will come as a result. And that's the whole th- point in the rest of this chapter. It's showing you the value and the benefits that wisdom will bring, bring if you pursue it. So God doesn't just say, Solomon doesn't just say here, if you work at pursuing wisdom, son, then you'll be wise and that's it. So there, so pursue it. You'll be wise. Rather, starting in verse 5, he elaborates on what wisdom will result in for us. And so we'll look at verses 5 through 11 and the next time 12 through 22, but all of it's going to point to the value of wisdom, the benefit it is to you. And so we're going to look at the prize of wisdom, starting in verse 5. Here are the results if you work at it, verses 1 through 4, here are the results. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's the first part. The picture here in this verse is that of a genuine relationship with God. We've already learned from the beginning of chapter 1 that fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but here, what do we see? It's also the outcome of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom, but pursuing wisdom would also end up in you understanding the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the type of fear that includes reverence and awe. It's a right acknowledgement of God's greatness, his power, his excellence, his holiness, his authority. It's right acknowledgement of who God is. It's not a fear that makes you run from God, by the way. Remember, we talked about this. It's not a fear that makes you run from him. Rather, it's the fear that makes you run to God in humble faith and in worshipful submission. So every time you see that phrase, fear of the Lord, that's what it means. It's the fear that drives you to him in humble submission and worshipful obedience knowledge of god we see that we will find the knowledge of god knowledge of god refers to personally knowing god not just dry facts you know kind of like an an academic knowledge but personal intimacy that's what's being communicated here it's personally knowing god by knowing the truth that he has revealed about himself in his word and by the way You won't grow in your relationship with God unless you pursue to understand the truth about him in his word, will you? Think about what a relationship involves. Doesn't it involve knowledge about the person? If you don't don't really know anything about the person, do you really have a relationship? Or is that relationship strong? It gets stronger and stronger 
as you deepen in your understanding of who that person is. Husbands, there's a command to live with your wives according to knowledge. It's to, to love them according to knowledge. So you wanna, you're getting to know them, and your relationship is strengthening as you do that. So the idea in this verse, verse 5, is that a right relationship with God through faith is the beginning of our wisdom, and as we pursue wisdom and grow in wisdom, that relationship deepens. And we see why this is the case in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, verse 6, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but as you pursue wisdom, it says you'll understand the fear of the Lord. Not that you didn't before, but the idea is that you're growing in that understanding. You're realizing more and more what it means to fear the Lord. Strengthen, strengthening of a relationship, deepening of a relationship with him. And the reason why is because you pursue wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. How are you going to know God? From his mouth come knowledge and understanding of him. That's in his word. So this shows that God is the source of wisdom and that it is through his word that he gives it to us. Therefore, our pursuit of wisdom will always lead to God, won't it? That's what the outcome of the pursuit of wisdom is. It's going to lead you straight to God because guess what? God is the source of wisdom. You want to be wise, you're going to pursue wisdom. Guess what? It's going to lead you straight back to him because he is the source of wisdom. Knowing him is the ultimate goal and the ultimate prize. Remember what Jesus said? In, he said this in John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You could say the, the goal of the Christian life, or the, our pursuit, our lifelong pursuit, is knowing God. That's what we want. If we're, if we're approaching the Scriptures, apart from that desire, then we're approaching it wrongly. Kind of like the Pharisees. They knew their Scriptures. They were knowledgeable, but were, did they know God? They didn't know Him. They didn't love Him, and they rejected His Son. That's what... That's what revealed their true motives. They weren't seeking to know God. So verse 6, God is the source. He's the ultimate prize. And in verse 7 through 8, show us what God does for those who are His. Benefits, results. Verse 7, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. And look at, look at who the people are. They're described as the upright, those who walk in integrity, those who are referred to as his saints, and that word actually means his faithful ones, his loyal ones. These are all believers. These are God's people. They're believers, and their lives are characterized by faithfulness, by moral integrity, and by obedience to God. There's real fruit. That comes in the life of a believer. Believers bear good fruit, and that's what it is. Their lives are characterized by these things. Not that they're perfect, right? But God is transforming them, and he's causing them to bear fruit and bring glory to him by their lives. So what does God do for those who are his? Well, these verses show us what he does. He protects them. He watches over them. Which doesn't mean he's just like, yeah, I see what you're doing. You know, he, he watches over them means he keeps them. He preserves them. He takes care of them. 
like you watch over your children, right? It's to protect them, to take care of them. How does he do this? We could look throughout Scripture and we could see the various ways God protects his people. A divine intervention of some sort, right? Many, many cases of different ways that he's protecting his people that he has and that he promises to protect his people. But here, here's what this passage reveals. The means by which he protects us is this, verse 7, the first part of it. He stores up sound wisdom for us. Do you see that? So it's not just, yeah, I'll, I'll protect you. He's protecting us through a certain means, and that means is he's storing up sound wisdom for us, and through that he's protecting us. That's at least the point being com- communicated in this verse. And behind the phrase sound wisdom, it's just one word. It's, it's a Hebrew noun that could be translated or understood as effective insight. So it's a synonym of wisdom. It, it means wisdom, and it's just nuancing it a little bit, but it could mean effective insight. It's the ability to handle life's challenges Challenges, uh, challenges successfully, to handle life's problems successfully, and as a re- in doing this as a result of proper insight and right judgment. So it's not just getting right, good insight, but it's to be able to be successful as a result of that. And that's why some Bible translators translate this word as success. The Holman Christian Standard Bible or the NIV, they translate this word as success. Because the emphasis is placed on there. It's the results of this. The sound wisdom is effective. It's successful. And this is what God is storing up for you. And this is the, it's very similar to the term wise dealing from chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 3. Wise dealing. The purpose of Proverbs is to uh, give you instruction and training in wise dealing. And this is the ability to correctly read various situations and act with good sense so that you have success. So very similar words. And so what we see here in verse 7 is that God stores up for his people success through wisdom. That's the idea. He stores up for them success through wisdom. And that's success according to his standards, right? A lot of people have ideas of what it means to be successful or to have success. But this is talking about good success because it's according to God's standards. Real success, lasting success. And God does this as we store up his commandments within us. So remember verse 1, what are you doing? What, what is your responsibility? If you treasure up, if you store up his commandments, but then what's the result? God is storing up for you success through the wisdom that you get through his word. He stores it up for you. So the result of this is divine protection, his protection. And think about it. Living wisely exercising wisdom, putting it into practice, it allows you to avoid the consequences of sin and folly. There are a lot of consequences. I mean, they're, they're absolutely avoidable if we choose wisdom. So, living wisely allows us to avoid those consequences, and therefore, it, it keeps us from making stupid, ungodly decisions that will make a mess of our lives. If we practice wisdom, it's keeping us from doing that making those stupid, ungodly decisions that mess up our life. One commentator says this, sound judgment or sound wisdom that we see in verse 7, it leads to success in the practical matters of life, which provides one with confidence and safety. So by storing up sound wisdom for you, God is protecting you and preserving you. Look at verse 11. Jump over to verse 11. It says, discretion 
will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. So the wisdom that God gives, as you diligently pursue it, it will protect you and preserve you. See that? Wisdom is the means through which he's protecting you. He will protect you and preserve you. This gives us incentive to do what verses 1 through 4 say. We want to be preserved. We want to be protected. We want to be shielded and guarded. And God says, I will do this through the wisdom that I give you. So go after it. Work at it. Pursue it. And in verse 9, we see that the success according to God's standards, we see what it looks like. Verse 9, you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Righteousness, that's doing what is right according to God's standards. Justice, it's, it's defining right and wrong according to God's standards. Affirming the right, condemning the wrong. Equity, and this, the Hebrew word here literally means straightness, and it can be uh, translated and understood as uprightness, integrity, honesty. This is walking the straight and level path that God's laid out for us in His Word. So righteousness, justice, equity, these are all qualities of godliness. That's basically what they are. They're qualities of godliness, godly actions, godly judgments, godly character. And for the Christian, this is Christ-likeness. What is, what is the purpose, or God's purpose for us? Romans 8.28, working all those things, all things together for good, including suffering. But the goal, what is the goal? It's to conform us to the image of Christ, right? So it's godliness, which is Christ-likeness for us. These qualities are what define good living. So if we say, what, what, is it look, what does the good life look like? These are what, this is what it looks like in God's eyes. Righteousness, justice, equity. And they're the result of wisdom. You don't get to live this kind of life apart from pursuing wisdom. And look at verse 10. Wisdom. You will understand righteousness, justice, and equity, every good path, for because wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So how does wisdom come into our hearts? Do you remember how it comes? Where do we get it from? Who's the source of wisdom? It's God, right? How does it come to us? God gives it to us. Does he infuse it into us? We say, God, I want to be wise. Oh, I'm wise now. No, as we pursue it through his word. He gives wisdom to us through his word as we pursue it diligently and store it up like treasure in our hearts. That's how we get wisdom. And as you receive God's wisdom, the knowledge you get will be, verse 10, pleasant to your soul. Pleasant to your soul. Okay, delicious food is pleasing to the tongue. A bride's beautiful appearance is pleasing to the eyes of the groom. Lovely music is pleasing to the ears. But guess what? God's wisdom will be pleasing to your soul. Same word. It's going to be pleasing to your soul. In Psalm 19, David wrote this. The precepts, that is the commands and directions, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. Rejoicing the hearts. They make the heart glad. Joyful, merry. That's the result of God's word being internalized and applied in your life. So what's the prize of wisdom? Well, to sum it up, the prize is this. It's a deepening relationship with the Lord and it's godly living. 
which, both of which, protect us and preserve us in this fallen world. That's the prize. Deepening relationship with God and godly living, which results in your protection and preservation in this fallen world. And actually, it also results in your joy. It'll be pleasant to your soul. And guess what? Who's it ultimately up to, to experience this? You, right? Verses 1 through 4. The point of this passage is that we would go right back to verses 1 through 4. We read the rest of it and we see, here are the benefits, here's the value of wisdom. Now let me go back to verses 1 through 4. If you do these things, you'll benefit. So, that means we can't have any excuses, right? In our pursuit of wisdom. If we're not wise, can we really have any excuses? Because who's it up to? Well, the scripture says, if you do these things, you'll get wisdom. You'll acquire it. You will grow in it. If you want wisdom, then you need to diligently and prayerfully apply yourself and pursue it. This is a willingness to do the hard work of pursuing God and his word and understanding his truth. And that's the purpose of the passage. So, We want to look at the blessed outcome of obtaining and growing in wisdom so that we would see its tremendous worth and be motivated to do what is laid out for us in verses 1 through 4. That's your application. Verse 1 through 4, you could just write an application right here, circle it. That's what I need to do to benefit from wisdom. Anytime you read God's word, anytime you hear the proclamation of his word, like I said, informally, formally, whatever it is, God's word is coming to you. Remember that if you're putting forth the effort, it will be pleasant to your soul. So, keep in in mind every time, like you're studying the Word of God, every time you come to church, okay, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all Scripture, it's God-breathed, all of it is, all of it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the woman of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm remembering that, and remember verses 1 through 4 in chapter 2 of Proverbs. If you pursue it, if you diligently seek it, if you chase after it, if you cry out for it, you put forth the effort. Keep that in mind. That's going to motivate you. That's going to help you start making your attempt to the wisdom. That's going to help you incline your heart to understanding. And guess what? We talked about how inclining our heart to understanding is something that we need to do but also something that we ask God to do because we need his help because our hearts are sinful, aren't they? And guess what? People can incline your heart as well. Solomon, here's the example of his life, giving wisdom by God, pursuing wisdom, applying it. But later in life, he turned from understanding that God gave. God said, don't marry the foreign women in the land who will turn your heart away after other gods. And what did he do? He amassed for himself. His eyes were drawn to the pleasures of this life and this world, and he amassed for himself himself wives and concubines. And guess what? What happened? Exactly what God said would happen. They inclined his heart. They caused his heart to turn away. So what do you need? This isn't just an individual pursuit of wisdom. This is a pursuit of wisdom, a personal pursuit that you do, and you also need the collective help of God's people. And so we read passages like Hebrews 10 that says, don't forsake meeting together, as some people are in the habit of doing. You want to consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
that's the kind of people we need to be around and surround ourselves with if we're going to grow in wisdom. So we need God's help. We need godly influences in our life, godly people speaking into our life, and we need to do the diligent work of pursuing wisdom. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for it is life. It is salvation because it leads us to you, to knowing you. Lord, we pray that that would be our motivation every time we hear your word, every time we open it up and read it, that our goal is to know you. And we desperately need your wisdom so that we might honor you and not make a mess of our lives. Father, keep us from allowing the distracting pleasures of this world to turn our hearts away from you. Instead, incline our hearts to understanding so that we may know you more and more through your word. Sanctify us, Lord. Make us more and more holy, more and more like your Son. Do this by the truth, by your word, so that we might be more and more like Christ our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.